The beautiful and awe-inspiring process by which a few cells develop into a new life is truly miraculous. As if following some invisible instructions, the intricate and complex steps for the creation of a new life unfold, forming delicate organs and vital systems and making billions of important connections and patterns in the brain alone. Every stage of a baby's development is affected by the choices a mother makes and the environments in which she lives. And those choices are at the same time becoming more difficult and more important. This is what it means to be pregnant in today's modern world. And this is Green Street. Hello again and welcome to Green Street, the environmental health show. Patty and Doug Wood and our network of scientists, medical professionals, authors, reporters, and all manner of other people with expertise in one area or another. All here on Green Street to help you understand a bit more of what is going on around you and how you can live a safer and healthier life in this increasingly toxic world. Today on Green Street, we're going to be talking about what it means to be pregnant in this world, the kind of things you need to be careful about, the toxic exposures that are all around you that you may not think about when you're not pregnant, but which suddenly become incredibly important when you are. And we're not just talking about tuna fish or alcohol. Our guest today is none other than my co-host, Patty Wood, who, as you may know by now, if you're a regular listener to Green Street, knows about a lot of things in the environment that can spell trouble. So we'll get into all of that right after the headlines from the Green Street News Department. So what's new in the environmental world this week? Well, how hot is too hot for the human body? That's the title of a article that was published in theconversation.com. And then the subtitle is, uh, Our Lab Found Heat and Humidity Gets Dangerous Faster Than Many People Realize. Mm. Heat waves are becoming supercharged as the climate changes, lasting longer, becoming more frequent, and getting just plain hotter. One question a lot of people are asking is, when will it get too hot for normal daily activity as we know it, even for young, healthy adults? The answer goes beyond the temperature you see on the thermometer. It's also about humidity. New research shows the combination of the two can get dangerous faster than previously believed. Scientists and other observers have recently become alarmed about the increasing frequency of extreme heat paired with high humidity measured as wet bulb temperature. People often point to a study published in 2010 that estimated that a wet bulb temperature of 35 degrees centigrade, which is equal to 95 degrees Fahrenheit at 100% humidity, or 115 degrees Fahrenheit at 50% humidity, would be the upper limit of safety, beyond which the human body can no longer cool itself by evaporating sweat from the surface of the body to maintain a stable body core temperature. That combination of temperature and humidity whereby the person's core temperature starts to rise is called the critical environmental limit. Below those limits, the body is able to maintain a relatively stable core temperature over time. But above those limits, core temperature rises continuously and the risk of heat-related illnesses with prolonged exposures is increased. Current heat waves around the globe are approaching, if not exceeding, these limits. Staying well hydrated and seeking areas in which to cool down, even for short periods, are important in high heat. While more cities in the United States are expanding cooling centers to help people escape the heat, there will still be many people who experience these dangerous conditions with no way to cool themselves. All told, the evidence continues to mount that climate change is not just a problem for the future. It is one that humanity is currently facing and must tackle head on. We're there right now. 
Yeah, we're there right now. I ju- when, when I read that a wet bulb temperature of 35 degrees centigrade equal to 95 degrees Fahrenheit at 100% humidity or 115 degrees Fahrenheit at 50% humidity would be the upper limit of safety. I'm like, 115 degrees is a temperature that was unheard of even just a decade ago. Yeah. But that is a temperature that we are seeing not only here in the United States, but around the world. 110, 111, 112, we're getting dangerously close to that point where people will just die from the heat. And and 95 degrees Fahrenheit with 100% humidity takes you to that same place. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when you when your kid goes out to play baseball on a, you know, a 95 degree, 97 degree day and the humidity is way up there, you know, they better take a lot of water with them yeah. and there better be a place nearby where, you know, they can cool down quickly if necessary. Yeah. It's tough. Okay. Right. Okay, so Environmental Health News also published a a good article, um, and it is titled Evidence of PFAS in Toilet Paper. Oh, come on. In parentheses, yes, toilet paper, exclamation mark. (laughs) Four popular brands of toilet paper have detectable levels of fluorine, an indicator of toxic PFAS, according to a new report. Partnering with Environmental Health News, Momovation, the green parenting blog and website, tested 17 brands of toilet paper at an EPA-certified lab and found levels of fluorine ranging from 10 parts per million to 35 parts per million in four of the brands. Charmin Ultra Soft Toilet Paper, 7th Generation 100% Recycled Bath Tissue, Tushy bamboo toilet paper and who gives a crap bamboo toilet paper. (laughs) That's not the name of the company. Yes, it is. No. Fluorine is a strong (laughs) indicator of the forever chemicals which have been linked to everything from cancer to birth defects to lower vaccine effectiveness. The levels found are low, which is an indication that the forever chemicals are not added to the toilet paper on purpose, but rather inadvertently through manufacturing or packaging. While the health impacts of PFOS exposure via skin contact are still somewhat unclear, Linda S. Birnbaum, former director of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences and the National Toxicology Program, told Momovation, quote, PFOS cause effects in males and females of animals and people in nearly every organ and at every life stage. Because toilet paper is created to rub up against such vascular parts of the body, it's logical to be concerned with this exposure, end quote. The report points out that PFOS are not the only concern in toilet paper. Bleaching or using dyes made from petroleum can irritate body parts. Previous research has also found formaldehyde, polyethylene glycol, and undisclosed fragrances in some toilet paper. In addition, toilet paper made from recycled paper can contain harmful chemicals like BPA. We knew about this business of BPA. We knew about BPA because BPA containing papers go right into the recycling paper waste stream. It's the gas station receipts and the other store receipts. And also industrial papers, okay, that get recycled in huge quantities, huge Mm. volume. So then those get into the recycled paper waste stream and then they get remanufactured into things like paper towels, toilet paper, Kleenexes and so on. And then you are actually getting BPA on those newly made products, okay, because Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's long lasting and 
they have determined that the amount of BPA, even though small, is biologically active in those recycled paper products. So now it's not just BPA, but it's PFAS. It's PFAS, which is even more concerning. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. I don't know at this point. I mean, we have so many chemicals that are of such great concern. It's like, is PFAS more problematic than BPA, more problematic than brominated flame retardants? It's just crazy. It's whack-a-mole, Patty. It's whack-a-mole. Yep. Yep. Chasing after these right. chemicals. I have one more, which I think is a really, really interesting one. Um, this is entitled, Study Finds Glyphosate Weed Killer Crosses Blood-Brain Barrier Linked to Alzheimer's and Other Neurodegenerative Diseases. Oh, this was boy. published in Beyond Pesticides newsletter. And here it is. An Arizona State University study shows that the popular herbicide glyphosate can infiltrate the brain through the blood-brain barrier, increasing the risk of neurological disease. The blood-brain barrier filters various molecules entering the brain from the circulatory system. More than six million people in the U.S. are living with Alzheimer's, and cases are expected to double by 2050. Although Alzheimer's research up until now is focused heavily on finding genetic causes of the disease, the study suggests that fewer than half of cases are genetic, and researchers are now evaluating how environmental contaminants may increase disease risk. Over 300 environmental contaminants and their byproducts, including pesticides, are commonly found in human blood and urine samples, and these can increase neurotoxicity risk when crossing the brain barrier. Studies like this highlight the importance of understanding how chemical accumulation in the body can impact long-term health and disease prognosis. Although this study adds to the growing body of research surrounding pesticide neurotoxicity, it is the first to demonstrate that glyphosate successfully crosses the blood-brain barrier, accumulating in the brain in a dose-dependent manner. Several previous studies found that pesticide compounds in a mother's blood can transfer to the fetus via the umbilical cord. A 2021 study found that pregnant women already have over 100 detectable chemicals in blood and umbilical cord samples, including a number of persistent organic pollutants that have been banned for sale in the U.S. I thought that Alzheimer's was primarily a genetically inherited... Oh, no. No, 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 no. They are really struggling with, you know, finding the, the causes of Alzheimer's. As, and as you know, it's increasing in incidence really pretty mm. um, aggressively right now. So... Well, with the prevalence of glyphosate... In well, let's talk, talk some, about glyphosate just for our listeners. Glyphosate is the... This is, is Roundup. The, yeah, it's right? Roundup. It's a, it's a weed killer. Yeah. So glyphosate is actually the active ingredient in Roundup weed killer. So we're really talking about Roundup here. And the, the concern is that so many of the processed foods that Americans eat every single day are made from genetically modified soybeans, corn, wheat, and so on, and they have residues of Roundup in them because well, we have, we're genetically modifying all these crops so that they can withstand heavy applications of this pesticide. Yeah. And so there are trace amounts in all the food we're eating, plus, you know, people are using Roundup like it's you know, water on oh. their driveway weeds and, you know, all, all over the place. And they're told to by their advertising. And sold at Home Depot. <laughs> That's I correct. Mean, it wouldn't be sold in a store if it wasn't safe. This right? is <clears throat> this is the great, oh, man. the great problem. And that is that many, many, many people have that confidence in mm. the American government so that, hey, if it was it was if it was harmful, they wouldn't allow it to be sold. Of course. OK, thanks, Patty. You're welcome.
There are three kinds of adult people in the world, men, women, and pregnant women. As the father of two daughters who also became mothers, I am quite familiar with the excitement, concern, and preparations that accompany the news of pregnancy. Most young moms I know grab every mothering book they can find, spend hours on the internet, and call their mom on the telephone constantly to find out if they're doing the right thing. At least that's the way it was in our house. Today on Green Street, I'm delighted to present to you a program we actually did a few years ago, but one which people have asked for over and over again. Our guest is none other than my co-host and life partner, Patty Wood, the founder of Grassroots Environmental Education, the author of Helping to Heal, the book for parents of children with life-threatening illness, and a visiting scholar at Adelphi University here on Long Island. Here is The Mom Show with Patty Wood. We've talked a little bit on Green Street before about the BabySafe project, but why don't you remind our listeners what that project is and how it came about? Yeah, I would love to. The BabySafe project is a project to educate pregnant women and their spouses about the potential risk of exposure to wireless radiation. We know that fetuses are very vulnerable. We've kind of gotten past that whole idea that there's this protection. Right. The, you know, the, the placenta protects the baby from you know, environmental toxins. Exactly. And uh, we, we kind of have gotten past that and understand that, in fact, that is not true. So the, the BabySafe project is about wireless radiation and how that may be impacting uh, a developing fetus. Wireless radiation being... Wireless radiation being any device that is putting out microwave radiation or RFR, radio frequency radiation. That could be cell phones, routers, you know, your laptop, your tablets, baby monitors, and so on. Anything that's wireless. Anything that's wireless. Anything out there that's wireless. So we had been to a lecture and heard Dr. Hugh Taylor, who is the head of reproductive sciences and OBGYN at Yale Medical School, talk about an experiment that he did. And that experiment showed that pregnant mice who were exposed to wireless radiation, and in this case it was from a cell phone, had offspring that exhibited signs of ADD, ADHD. They actually saw changes in the prefrontal cortex of the offspring that were different from their control group which were not exposed during fetal development. physical differences in the way the brain was Exactly, formed. exactly. There were actual physical differences in the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for behavior. Hmm. So there was great concern about this and a feeling that it certainly should be something where we could go out and tell pregnant women to take precaution. In other words, better safe than sorry. So pregnant women already know, you know, not to drink alcohol. And not yeah, to I mean, pregnant women, they don't eat tuna fish sandwiches, they right. don't drink, they don't smoke. There are, you know, a, quite a few things that, that pregnant women are already aware of, and they make a special, special effort to reduce those exposures. And we're just trying to add yet another exposure um, to that list. Um, because it is so ubiquitous. How much science is out there about this? There actually is more science than you think. Uh, there's a there's a report called the Bioinitiative Report, which is actually a compilation of studies that have been done over you know several decades uh, about wireless radiation or microwave radiation. Um, we really started using this type of technology uh, in the military. And uh, it, you know, quickly became uh, something incredibly convenient 
And, you know, with the development of, you know, new technologies all the time, this seems to be the way we're headed. But the military likes to be careful about stuff. I know they're very careful about their nuclear, you know, the Yeah, and in I mean, fact— They, they want to be safe. That's and, right. And, in fact, they actually did studies, and they showed exactly the same thing, that one of the most significant effects of this type of radiation was on behavior. Mm. And that was way back. I mean, they did those studies, you know, way back, I think, in the early 60s. So we are just moving forward with this project in collaboration with Environmental Health Trust, uh, which is headed up by Dr. Deborah Davis, who has been on our show a few times mm -hmm. talking about uh, wireless radiation she and especially— book, She wrote the book Disconnect. Right, right? especially cell phone technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it follows the precautionary principle perfectly, which is that when there is an indication of harm, that we take protective action even when we don't have scientific certainty. Yeah. And, you know, more and more we have to employ the precautionary principle because scientific certainty is harder and harder and harder to, to come by today as industry begins to fund scientific research. Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's all kinds of research. There's research to get what you want, and then there's research to find things out. So what is a pregnant woman supposed to do about her cell phone? Well, there certainly are, are basic recommendations. I mean, everybody uses a cell phone, right? I mean, everybody... Everybody uses cell phones. So basic recommendations, do not carry it on your body. That's right. it. Just simple. Don't put it in a pocket. Don't carry it in your bra. Don't put it in a bag that you carry, you know, all the time over your shoulder if you're walking to and from work. You know, find another way um, to deal with that. And if you can't... If you can't find, you know, any other way to carry it, turn it off while you're, while you're walking to work so that it's not... You know, looking for it's not actively looking for a signal, and, and you don't and want to so put on. the laptop on your stomach. Do not you put. Do not use your belly as a as a shelf. You know, which is very commonly done um, for pregnant women. Do not use it as a shelf for your laptop or your tablet. All right. So this is on the web at babysafeproject.org. Right? Yes. All the information and right. The and there are and there are stuff. many other recommendations, like when you're streaming or when you're downloading. Uh, you know, the device is really um, putting out quite a bit of radiation. So you know, do that and go somewhere else, and then come back. And when you're using or watching whatever it is you just downloaded or streamed, put that computer on or that tablet on airplane mode. So wireless radiation is clearly something that a pregnant woman should avoid, but it's certainly not the only exposure we worry about. One of the things that couples typically do when they get find out that uh, they're pregnant is, uh, you know, let's decorate the baby's room. Let's, which room is the baby going to go in? Let's get some new carpeting. Let's paint the walls. Let's, you know, I know. Buy, buy, let's go out and get a new crib, yeah. new mattress, you know, bumpers and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, Well, these are all, you know, these are all just typical things that, you know, that people do. Um, you know, we have stores that are the size of Home Depot, you know, buy, buy, baby, B-U-Y, B-U-Y, baby. <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy. But, um, but we need, do need to be careful, um, really careful, because a lot of new furnishings are outgassing chemicals, uh, and that includes carpeting, and it includes curtains, it includes, um, you know, bedspreads and bumpers, you know, uh, blankets and so on. First of all, anything that you buy brand new should be washed first, if it's washable, like, okay. you know, blankets, sheets, mattress pads, whatever. Um, that's number one. And even curtains. I mean, because curtains will have, you know, chemical sizing in them, and they may even contain formaldehyde as a as a finishing, uh, as something that they use as a finishing chemical. Um, so 
just wash everything that you buy that's new for that baby, number one. Um, really think carefully about whether or not you want to put a carpet in the baby's room at all. But if you do, um, don't buy a carpet, a commercial synthetic carpet and padding that contains formaldehyde and other chemicals that will off-gas. Um, it's, really, it's really tough to, to decide on an organic wool carpet because they're a little bit more expensive, but they are so worth it. Um, so that mm. there are no chemicals outgassing and being inhaled by that newborn in that nursery. So do not do that. New carpeting carpet. is one of the biggest, the biggest exposures. And it smells for a while, new carpeting. It, it smells for Especially a long the, time. You know, unless the windows are open all the time. Well, and that's another thing. I mean, if you have no choice but to buy synthetic carpeting, first of all, I just say that wood floors are your safest. But if you want to buy a, an area rug, you know, buy a wool one, an organic wool if you can, and make sure that your padding is also, you know, made from safe material, a safe wool pad. Um, but if you have to, if you're in an apartment and it's already carpeted and you have no, or it's just been newly carpeted, open windows. It's mm. really important to, uh, to, to get some fresh air in there and start, you know, getting the, uh, those toxins to outgas and go outside. What about painting the walls? We want to paint the painting walls. Painting is it's really or... simple today. I mean, just use not a low VOC, a no VOC paint. Uh, most of the the big paint manufacturers are now providing, and I think one of the best ones is Benjamin Moore's Natura, and it just has no VOCs. Nothing is outgassing out of that paint. Um, but even so, you know, you'll smell wet paint for a while. Just open your windows. Open your windows, but use a no VOC paint. VOC stands for volatile organic compound. Pound. And just, we don't want any of those in an environment where a new baby will be. Right. Okay. And uh, what about furniture? We've got to go out and get a new crib? And yeah. Furniture, we want to avoid pressed wood, composite wood. We want, it, we want to avoid anything that is made from these composite, what we call wood products. We really want to try when we are decorating the nursery to use only hard wood or solid wood furniture. You know, there are so many options today. I mean, you can go on eBay and you can buy a used crib, make sure that it's a beautiful solid wood used crib. You can buy that. It's probably going to be che cheaper than, you know, yeah. one of these um, composite wood beds that you would buy at Ikea or home, you know. No plastic, yeah, I assume. Yeah, no plastic. No plastic, just solid wood is what you're really looking for. And what about the mattress that goes in the... Mattress has got to be organic. It's got to be organic. And this is where you really want to, you know, just say, you know, I'm not going to go to Starbucks yeah, for a I'm month. I'm going to give up my latte. I'm going to give up my latte weeks. for a couple of months and buy that organic mattress because your baby spends a lot of time in that crib in its first year or two of life. And, you know, if you're if you have the, the ability to do it, you know, buy a mattress or a, a bed that can convert to a youth bed so that that mattress can actually last longer. It can, mm. you know, last up to five or six years for that child. It's and just, the, just, the just linen, a good thing to think about. Linens in the blankets, I assume, is just, you know, just wash cotton, you cotton, can. cotton, cotton. Whenever, you, whenever you're buying anything for your baby, buy cotton. And organic cotton, clearly, is, you know, is the best way to go. You know, cotton is, is one of the most heavily sprayed crops in the world. 
because it is just so ubiquitous in our lives. We use it for everything. Uh, so if you can avoid you know, regular cotton and buy organic cotton. Once again, there are opportunities to buy, you know, lightly used cotton, organic cotton uh, sheets and mattress pads and all kinds of things. Yeah, I and, see more and more, you know, organic baby sites and advertisements yeah, for yeah. organic baby stuff. And like they it. have sales. And yeah. they have sales. I mean, if you're if you're looking way ahead of time, you know, in that in that nine months that you have, you know, you're gonna you're gonna find what you need at a at a good price. What about the bumpers that go around the inside of the crib when you've got a newborn? Are do they have flame retardants in them, and is that a concern? Not typically, but you want you also want to buy cotton for that too. I mean, anything that in anything that's going to touch the baby, you want it to be breathable. I mean, you want that baby to be super super comfortable. I mean, it's really important that clothing be loose fitting and and cotton organic if possible and just comfortable i mean you want to put your baby in clothes that that you're comfortable in just mm. think about that what makes you most comfortable come home throw on a pair of you know sweatpants or you know a t-shirt because you're comfortable in that don't constrict you know that baby's movement or put them in these synthetic you know non-breathable fabrics I've heard you talk a lot about personal care products, you know, shampoos and conditioners and lotions. Should a pregnant woman be concerned about those? And, uh... Well, a pregnant woman should be concerned even with what they're using while they're pregnant. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, of course, after the baby is born, um, that's another another consideration. Um, but you should be very careful of the personal care products that you're using from, you know, from lotions, uh, skin lotions to shampoos and conditioners and makeup. And and everything else because these things that you put on your skin are very very easily absorbed into the bloodstream and of course that goes directly into the uh, into the baby and so we're concerned that you not use chemicals that um, that we know are harmful and many of many personal care products you know they contained really harmful chemicals like phthalates in particular um, a lot of phthalates are found in in fragranced products. These are small molecule phthalates that are typically used, they're very cheap, and they're typically used in fragrances to make the fragrance last longer. Mm. So try to try to find unfragranced products or products that are that are scented with uh, natural essential oils. Much, much safer. They may not last as long, but they're much safer for you and for the baby. Yeah, it's funny you don't think about your skin as being such a you know, an absorbent thing. You think of your skin as being somewhat resistant, but of course the skin patches deliver medicine now. So That's you, right. I mean, we, we, we use nicotine patches and yeah. we use, you know, we use patches to deliver medications over and, a period of time. And yeah. now that we know that the placenta, what we were talking about before, the placenta is not actually the barrier that we, that many people thought it was for years. Mm -hmm. So you put some lotion on your skin that's got some molecule that goes right into your bloodstream and you know, two minutes later, it's in your baby. That's right. So, I mean, it's very important to think about personal care products because you are applying them directly to your body. So just think about that, too. There are a lot lot more manufacturers that are making 100% organic lines of cosmetics as well as shampoos and conditioners and so on. Um, but also some of the bigger manufacturers are looking at that. Although I must say, because there are no regulations, no federal regulations, we really need to do a little bit of homework. Um, EWG, Environmental Working Group, you can go to EWG.org, and they have a cosmetics database. So you can actually look up the product that you are using. They have thousands of products on that mm -hmm. database. You can look mm -hmm. up the product that you are using 
using, and they will tell you whether it's a carcinogen, whether it's an endocrine disruptor, whether it's a neurotoxin, whether or not um, it's an asthmogen. In other words, it you know can exacerbate asthmatic conditions. It's very important to to be you know, more careful at this time of your life. And this is one of the things that you're going to really have to do. You know, I think a lot of people, they'll look at that list and they'll see all their favorite products on there and think, you know, everything is a problem. But it's not really true. There's a tremendous... No, tremendous it's not really true. And, and you can actually go on our grassroots website, our nonprofit that we run. And that website is grassrootsinfo.org. And you'll find a list of manufacturers that really only manufacture safe personal care products. And they may be a little bit more expensive, so use a little bit less. I think we overdo everything anyway. We yeah. use more than we need to when it comes to, you know, to shampoo, when it comes to skin lotion. So just use a little bit less and it may actually wind up being less expensive, cheaper to use the better quality product. And the, and more importantly, you have the assurance that you're not harming your baby in any way. One of the other things people like to do is to clean the house, right? Baby's coming, so we're going to clean every inch of it. What about the cleaning products that people use? Well, this is good for us to know about just in general, but I think that we overdo this idea of, you know, sanitizing. So that's number one. We have to think about the disinfectants that we're using in our homes. It's really important to be careful about the use of chlorine-based products like, uh, you know, you have your scrubbing powders, your Ajax and Comet and all those things, as well as Clorox. Do you know that you actually can't buy Clorox in countries like Germany? It's illegal to sell Clorox. Um, because of its health concerns or yeah, its environmental Well, because, because it's harmful to breathe it in. It's a skin irritant. You know, it's, a, it's a irritating to the mucous membranes and the, and the lungs, but but even more importantly, once it goes out into the environment, winds up in our wastewater and then gets dumped into our surface waters, um, it can create trihalomethanes, which are really very potent human carcinogens. Mm. What about cleaning products around the baby? I mean, just... Uh, cleaning products, I mean, just you can use things that we, we have been using for, you know, for generations, which is white vinegar. Um, it's a great cleaning product. And, you know, we can also use, you know, things like baking soda and so on. But, I mean, we do have manufacturers today like Ecovare. Uh, it's one of them. It's a, a Belgian company. We have seventh generation. Um, there are more and more companies bio that clean. are bioclean that mm -hmm. are beginning to understand that we can use really non-toxic, even food-grade ingredients in cleaning products and do the job just as well. They're going to be a little more expensive, I assume. Sometimes not. I mean, you know, these cleaning products are expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, so the natural cleaning products are, in, when they're on sale, they're absolutely as cost-effective as, the, as their more dangerous counterparts. So what about air fresheners? I know a lot of people like to, you know, they, they, they get used to that kind of chemical smell. And they put in, you know, plug-in air fresheners. There's an air freshener that, that puffs every time you walk by. I know. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> air fresheners are particularly problematic. Um, we really suggest that you do not use things like Febreze or plug-in air fresheners like Glade and some of the other ones that you're familiar with. And even scented candles people use to, uh, you know, to, to mm -hmm. freshen the air. The best way to freshen your air is to open up your windows. Um, that's the best way is to get fresh air inside. Once again, you can use, if you, if you really want to have a, a, a scent in your home, uh, the use of 
essential oils are, you know, are much safer than using these chemical-based air fresheners that have the phthalates in them, which I spoke about before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me just ask you about laundry detergents. You talk a lot about the difference between liquid detergent and, uh, and, and powdered detergent. What's, what's the big deal there? Well, I'll talk about that in a minute, but just, just the thought that there is always residue of, of detergents and even dryer sheet chemicals um, left in our clothing after we've well, put sure, it through the washer and dryer. You can smell that. No? You can always smell it. Um, so it never gets rinsed out completely. So rem remember where those where those clothing, where those pieces of clothing are going. They're going on our bodies. They're in our underwear and our socks and pajamas. And, and the same for our children, same for our babies. And we use towels to dry them off and they sleep on the sheets and, you know, they've got their faces, you know, right there. Um, and so we're very concerned about not using fragranced laundry detergents. Very important that you do that. Or once again, if you want to put a little scent in it, you can just drip a, you know, a few drops of essential oil into the washing machine if you want to do that. There also are companies that make laundry detergents with essential oils. And so you don't have to you don't have to do that yourself. Um, dryer sheets are very problematic uh, because those fragrances are really designed to last. It's a combination of petroleum-based products, and they actually leave an oily residue on the clothing, which actually makes it feel soft. So you're thinking that it's softening your clothing, but it's actually just leaving this oil, you know, this residue of this oily chemical-based solution on mm. your clothing. And it's and it, it literally lasts forever. The yeah. fragrance lasts forever. Inhalation is one of the roots of exposure, right? Yeah, so inhalation. The three roots of exposure to environmental toxins, inhalation, skin absorption, which we talked about, and accidental ingestion. Um, babies just typically have their hands in their mouths all the time. And so anything that that baby is touching, even if it's your skin, even if it's your makeup, um, if it's, you know, if it's the sheet that they're sleeping on and then they stick their hands in their mouth, they are getting, you know, residues of those chemicals that you're using. The reason that we think that powdered laundry detergents rather than liquid laundry detergents are better is that the liquid laundry detergents contain a lot of different types of chemicals that we think are really problematic for our health. And they contain nonophenol compounds, which is really something that there's great concern about worldwide, because once those compounds get out into the environment, they actually are very, very strong endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And we're finding that fish in those bodies of water where there is sewage water outflow actually are hermaphroditic, so that they have both organs, sexual organs for both male and females within their bodies. So mm. there's a concern about that from an environmental perspective. Also, what is it doing to us? Well, how little we know about how these things... Uh, uh, well, know. how these chemicals work, not only individually, but in combination. So you look at the list of what's in in these products, and you don't even see a complete list because it's not required by law that everything be listed on the on the label. But nobody, nobody's testing. And that's true of personal care products, too, not just cleaning yeah. products. There's no law saying that they have to list all of those but ingredients. But nobody's testing those synergistic effects. Nobody knows what happens if you use this chemical and that chemical together, right? That's I mean, right, and nobody knows what people are buying. I mean, you know, you can buy anything you want. You can buy anything you want and combine it. Yeah. Nobody knows. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about getting outside. So I know there's been a lot of work done on prenatal exposure to diesel exhaust. Ricky Pereira up at Columbia University was doing some work on the uh, the impacts of uh, pregnant women who are exposed to diesel exhaust. Uh, and well, it wasn't just diesel exhaust. I mean, Dr. Frederica Pereira at Columbia University uh, had done very, very important research on pregnant women and their exposures to environmental toxins and how it was impacting the neurological development of their babies. Mm -hmm. And they followed them for from birth until, you know, I think it's like six or seven years now since that study may even be more. Um, and they're finding that exposure to typical things that you would find, you know, in a city like PAHs, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are key combustion byproducts coming out of the backs of buses and trucks and cars and so on, um, even buildings, you know, that are burning fuel. Uh, we, we are seeing that those children whose mothers had the highest levels are having significant decreases in their cognitive function. And that's something to really be concerned about, uh, is the exposure of, uh, of these exhaust products. So you're talking about neurological development. Yeah, and we're talking about that, that's, what, that's what they were really looking for mm -hmm. in that study, and they were finding it. It was also they were exposed to pesticides, which are used commonly in buildings and also on parks and so on, and other typical things, but mostly air pollution, mostly air pollutants coming from, from PAHs. What do you do if you live in the city and you walk outside and you're, you know, the truck's going by? Well, what you do for sure is that you don't, you know, you don't stroll your baby along in their carriage or stroller right next to the, the curb. You know, wherever you can, you walk a little bit back from the edge of the sidewalk um, so that the baby is not being directly exposed to this by an exhaust pipe that's, sure. you know, within inches yeah. of their, uh, you know, of their strollers. Mm. So you have to be careful of that. And also find routes where you don't have a lot of truck traffic or bus traffic or idling of vehicles. You know, you, if you live in a neighborhood, you get to know, you know, the traffic patterns around your neighborhood. You get to know, you know, when the garbage trucks are coming by. And you, you get to know a little bit about when the safe times are mm. um, to be walking around uh, in your neighborhood. And find your way to the outside edges of the, uh, you know, of the city where you have, in, in the case of New York City, you have, you have water, which can. Uh, you know that open space will will help to clean the air, and there are parks and and trees absolutely help to clean the air. So parks and walking on uh, on paths are your best places when you're just going out for a walk. So diesel exhaust obviously is not just a concern because of neurological development; it's, because no, it's no, a concern no. for lung cancer and yeah, for all asthma. kinds of things. All kinds of things: heart disease, lung cancer, breast cancer. They've all been uh, they've all been associated with a higher exposure to to diesel exhaust. And of course, diesel exhaust contains particulate matter, these little tiny microscopic pieces of um, you know, particulate matter that we're also concerned about getting into those tiny little lungs. So you live in the city, you live in on, a, on a busy street, you open your windows to get fresh air, and in comes the particulate matter. Right. So can we have, do we, is there a, an air filter yeah, that we can put you, in the baby's room? Yeah, there actually are air filters that you can put on your windows that, you know, and mm. there are, you know, special screens that you can put on your window that will, that will reduce those, those levels of particulate matter. And a HEPA air filter? 
Yeah. Is that going to help you? Yeah, for some things, but not everything. Yeah. But certainly, it's it's worth investigating. And you know, you know your community. You know, you know the the neighborhood that you're living in. You know what the problems are. And as you say, there may be better times to open the window than yeah. other times. Yeah. Okay. You've been listening to Green Street, the environmental health show with Doug and Patty Wood, and our guest today was Patty Wood, the founder of Grassroots Environmental Education, the author of Helping to Heal, the book for parents of children with life-threatening illness, and a visiting scholar at Adelphi University here on Long Island. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Don't forget to check out all our Green Street episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. And reach out to us and sign up for our news alerts and program info through our website, greenstreetradio.com. Thanks for listening.